Hello, welcome to the Christmas episode of the Jeff McAlino podcast. Mainly, that's just because that's the way the calendar reads. Uh, not not really a Christmas theme to the episode, but a fun one nonetheless. I'll keep the intro and outro short because I'll be honest, my throat's a little sore. I was uh, maybe celebrating and screaming a little too much watching the Saints shut out Tom Brady. Uh, great job, Tommy boy. Looked like a big bitch out there. Um, you know, throwing your little tablet and saying some really mad things to the uh, Saints sideline. Yeah, maybe just play better, dude. <laughs> Lost to an offense that was led by uh, the Saints' third string tight end. So, you know, you got that going for you, Tommy. All right. Anyways, about this episode, <laughs> uh, I talked to John Moyer. Now, he is a fun story and a, a really cool guy, very nice guy. Uh, basically, he's a hypnotist now. Uh, he did was doing stand-up comedy. He did it for over 20 years. Uh, so, you know, he's uh, got some stories we talk about in that realm as well. Uh, and then lead into, you know, how he became a hypnotist. Uh, you know, I asked him to make me cluck like a chicken. Just kidding, I did not. But I, of course, brought up the, the stereotypical thoughts of uh, hypnotism and kind of the bad movie TV tropes that we see so often. Uh, talked a lot about it. Some interesting stuff. Very interesting. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel with a ton of subscribers Hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Uh, I, uh, I'm i going to test it out. I'm interested to see. I probably should look for one of those weight loss ones because it's just one of those weekends. My last three meals have been uh, Taco Bell, Steak and Shake, and McDonald's. And uh, I don't have much of an excuse except for, you know, I was drinking a lot. So, you know, uh, my caloric intake was already high, and I thought, why not just make it higher? Um, no excuse. Anyways, so maybe I should look into that, um, and I, I probably will, um, but we talk a lot about that, uh, the process, you know, some of the, uh, the things behind it, you know, how he got into hypnotism and how it can affect people or help people, uh, and kind of the future. There's a lot of interesting Kind of correlations, I think, with a lot of guests I've had on. Uh, with a lot of these these threads seem to tie together in a way when you talk about, you know, the universe and mental health and spirituality and all that stuff. It's kind of an interesting thing that I think people are getting more into. You know, the 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 uh, the body, the human body and brain are a, a real hard piece of equipment to get right. So, anyways. My throat already hurts, so we will go on to the episode. I uh, will probably not put this one up on YouTube. I did end up putting the last episode up on YouTube. I struggle with some video stuff because I have the technological skills of an 87-year-old. So uh, it's, you know, what's this button do kind of thing. Not not really high-tech uh, on my end, so... I'm uh, trying to figure out some video video editing stuff to uh, make it nicer, but to be honest, I can't even figure out how to get my intro and outro to attach to the video, so 
there's that. Anyways, enjoy the episode. Uh, it's a real interesting conversation, fun conversation, and uh, I think you will enjoy it. I'll see you on the flip side. Right, everyone. Now I am excited to invite John Moyer on the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you, John? I am good, Jeff. And uh, I, I already know you're well and good. We, we, we've chatted. It's all, it's all good. East coaster in the house. Yeah, I don't think anyone in Saint Petersburg is ever overly stressed. If we are, we can just no. go to the beach. Or it's yeah, it's 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 a chill place. I was there in another Saint. I was in Saint Augustine. Uh, month or so ago and yeah it's very laid back and are you in uh utah still now i am yeah salt lake city utah just a little south of of salt lake actually and uh one of the fast it's the fastest growing city in utah one of the fastest growing cities in the united states of all places but uh i i love it here we've got snow on the ground which is perfect this this time of year yes <laughs> so that's i always appreciate the four seasons here yeah, I don't. I don't love the fact that it's uh, my air conditioning is running right now, <laughs> and uh, it's it's like eighty three degrees outside. I don't love that. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I'm I'm just a, you know I'm I'm a Four Seasons kind of person. I know I have a lot of family from Jersey that moved to Florida. They're like, we hate the snow. We want to get out of the snow. And man, I I say bring it on. I love it. So it's all good for me. Yeah, and and with your uh, career path. You travel a decent amount, probably. So, it, it, you know, if, if you really wanted to avoid it, you could just book a lot of yeah. Florida dates in the winter. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly. So uh, I'm uh, glad to have you on. You've got quite a, uh, a background before you got into what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's impressive to me just by itself, the, the, the comedy and the uh, I know you did some acting and uh, I yeah. think you directed a movie as well, correct? I did. I, that one right there, Mobsters and Mormons, wrote, produced and directed. That one's about a mafia family from New Jersey that gets put in the witness relocation program to Utah. So it's uh, I, I, I took, you know, kind of the, the both of worlds that, you know, growing up in South Jersey and every kid I went to high school with was like a cliche of the Sopranos. And people go, oh, the Sopranos is such a cliche. I'm like, no, it's not. I, I grew up in Jersey. I, uh, you know, I know. So I, I took growing up in Jersey and kind of mashed it up with, with, you know, living in Utah. And the hilarity ensued, you know, with that, with that film. I, I love that because I've, I've said on my podcast many times, every time I'm, I am working on multiple screenplays all the time, but goes back to almost every single one of them is based in St. Petersburg because it's where yeah. I've lived my whole life. And it's like, yeah. well, I know this place. I know exactly. the places. I know the people. It's yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you, you know, maybe there's stuff that I come up with an idea for, but I'm like, Oh man, that's going to take a lot of research. And you write, you write what you, what, excuse me, write what you know, and it makes it so much, so much easier. So Yeah. And uh, you also did, and I, I started doing open mics just this year at a very uh, late age of, I was 34, uh, so very late to be starting doing open mics. You're so uh, young compared to me. No, it's yeah. good. <laughs> but uh, you, you you had a long career uh, doing stand-up. Yeah, yeah um, what, I, was going to, I was going to film school, and there was a local comedy club in 
you know, where I was, I, I actually went to, to Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, and to think of, wow, there's a comedy club with a sense of humor in Provo, Utah. Yeah, um, there, there was because they needed it. And um, so, so I went and started doing open mic night and it was, a, and, and I don't know what it's like for you when you do open mic night, but normally open mic nights now, it, it's like an off night of the week. Maybe it's like a Tuesday or a Wednesday and it, you, you're just standing in front of other open micers. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but back in the day, the way the comedy club did it, they were open Thursday through Saturday and Thursday nights, they had, you know, the regular headlining comedian, but instead of having opening acts, they put up the open micers before the oh, headliners. Wow. So you were there in front of a real audience who was there to see a, a real comedian. And, you know, they just put up, you know, they, they made one of the open micers, the MC, and then the other, you know, then they picked, you know, three, four, five to go up for the headliner. So it, that for me was a really great experience as opposed to some of the brutality that it that it is now doing open mics i i got such a rude awakening with uh, open mics in a it, it just a, such my first two times doing it at a comedy club was the first time there were nine audience members and six of them were friends and family of mine yeah i didn't yeah. really want to go but they knew i was doing it so they wanted to go to to support yeah. me and uh pr predictably my first time i i i bombed <laughs> more because of my structure you know five minutes and i did like a story which yeah. didn't have enough jokes in it to, to really yeah. do a, a <laughs> there weren't a lot of laughs in the five minutes yeah. um uh so the second time i go i don't tell anyone there's 50 people in the audience i don't know what drew all these people on this random tuesday night uh yeah. to a to a comedy club on st Pete beach and i'm sitting there i'm like well, at least I've got a five minute set planned because last time I was the only one who actually had a coherent set. Everyone else was just kind of throwing, you know, 25, 50 one liners out there just to see what premise yeah. would stick. Um, and uh, I, I killed my second time in front of a, a <laughs> relatively big audience, um, even though listening back to it, it's like, whew, good premises, very few punchlines, a couple nice yeah. tags in there. Uh <laughs> But yeah, it's it's good audience. It's like, the, it's like the the saying goes, "Open mic is 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 like it's like making sausage. Everybody loves sausage, but nobody wants to see how it's made, right?" Yeah. And that's that's open mic nights. <laughs> yeah, well, and the 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 variance of those two nights of having basically no audience. Oh yeah, uh, and then having fifty strangers who were all pretty uh, well lubricated and uh, happy to laugh. <laughs> Um, well, and the, the thing that happened for me is starting in a comedy club in Provo, Utah, where, you know, they had you had to be TV clean and there was no alcohol. Right. So oh. that that was. But but at the same time, that's a really good way to kind of fire things up because of the fact that you you kind of have to rely on being funny and not, you know, and because they're in Provo, nobody's got a frame of reference for alcohol and all that stuff. Right. And then I remember I had done it a couple of times and maybe it was like my third or fourth time a woman had come up to me after which and she said, you know, I, I think I was doing like three minutes of open mic. This woman came up and she said, do you have 15 minutes? And I'm like, of course, I've got 15 minutes. Absolutely. I didn't really. But 
she booked a comedy night in Salt Lake. So she said, I'd love to have you come and do 15 minutes MC at this comedy night in Salt Lake. And I, and I remember it was the first time I had ever been in a, like a, a bar, like a real bar. Yeah. You know, Cause I was at the time I was going to BYU. I was, I was like a nice Mormon kid, right. You know, wholesome and everything. And, and I remember just walking into this bar where people were drinking alcohol and they were drunk and there was going to be a show. And I was absolutely terrified. Yeah. Like I was in the bathroom. I was this close to thinking, I'm just going to get in my car and leave and I'll never do comedy again. I realize I'm running away from something, but I'll never do it again. And I, I stuck it out. And fortunately that, that decision I made in that minute changed the trajectory of my life for the better. So. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's interesting. I made a, I, I think it was my probably fourth or fifth time on stage when I, for the first time, I'm like, I'm going to bring my drink up, not to drink it, but just to occasionally just hold it in my hand. And, and uh, I, I, I never actually drink it. Um, right. but I occasionally just pick it up, pick it up. And it was like my, and I, frankly, I do this with podcasting too. It's like a security blanket. Yeah. It's like, I can, if I say something stupid or I fumble a joke and mix up the words, I'll go to my drink. I'll take a sip and be like, oops. Yeah, that's a, you, you have created a hypnotic anchor in your subconscious mind, right? That's that's exactly, you know, it's exactly what that is. It, it's like when I, you know, I mean, I retired from comedy probably to be about um, about five years ago because then I was doing stage hypnosis full time. But when I was doing comedy, I would always I always had my set list written out on a piece of paper, something that I could take up on stage, put on the stool. I never I never looked at it. I never looked at it, but just knowing it was there was that psychological anchor for me that was like, yeah, you're okay. You're fine. You're good. Yeah. So. That, I, I actually, I still have always done the same thing and I've always had it written on a tiny scrap piece of paper yeah. that actually ends up getting soaked with the condensation under my drink. Yeah. So I yeah. never have looked at it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and you know, what's so funny for me is I will still have dreams where I'm supposed to perform and I'm supposed to go on in like two minutes and I'm backstage and I'm like, I don't have my set list. Where's my, I can't do this. I don't have my set list. It's, it's still a weird, a weird thing to, to go through, even though I haven't performed and, you know, stand up in five years. Well, it's probably, I mean, I just turned 35 and I still have dreams that I'm uh, running late for a final exam. In yeah. High school. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you show up and you realize you didn't do any of the homework. I know it was like, clearly we have some weird stuff happening in our in our heads there that you know we're yeah. trying to resolve uh, oddly enough the one of the more frantic nightmares i have maybe i am evolving just last month i want to say i had a dream that was almost a nightmare that i somebody's like you got 20 minutes right similar almost similar to what your actual real life story and i'm like yeah of course i've got 20 minutes and I remember I was in this dream. I was back. I couldn't think of a single joke. I'm just sitting there with a notepad. Like I need to write jokes. Yeah, what are my yeah, jokes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what, what I would do in those days is if, if it was 20 minutes and I had five, I would do 15 minutes of just trying to talk to the audience and screw around with the audience. And then I were like, okay, last five minutes, I can do some material now. <laughs> yeah, no, see my story would have worked great. And that's it. <laughs> but my subconscious did not think of that. <laughs> <laughs> the five minute story stretched out for 15, 20 minutes. I could have added a ton of jokes, but yeah. <laughs> um, now I know you got just from reading up on you, you got kind of miserable uh, yeah. doing stand up. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you what happened there is because my 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 act was about me, right? It was about you know it, rather than going out there and going, hey, what's what's the deal with flying on airplanes or whatever, <laughs> you know? I mean, it was it was stories about me and and you know, going to film school. The thing that you learn in writing a script is all drama is conflict. So, you know, the analogy I'm going to use is like with Star Wars, right? There's not going to be a Star Wars if there's no Princess Leia being kidnapped, if there's no Darth Vader and Death Star. So, um, so it's all about conflict. So I took that relative, uh, that idea relative to, to, to screenwriting and put it in context of my comedy. So it was like, I figured, you know, the more conflict and drama there was in my personal life, the more that gave me material to, you know, to joke about. And I was kind of this angry, bitter guy on stage and kind of with a dark sense of humor. And I would just get up and, you know, bitch and complain about all the stuff that was happening in my personal life. So it worked out really well for laughs and it worked out really well for material on the stage. But personally, man, I was, I was a really unhappy person. You know, I, I'd gone through a divorce. I had two young kids, which, which made me happy, but there's a lot of dysfunction to talk about trying to be a single parent, um, right. you know, and then of course dating, you know, dating is a single parent dating all the wrong women that are, you know, because I'm, I'm just dysfunctional. So yeah, I was incredibly unhappy, personally. So those two things were kind of coming into coming into conflict. And, you know, I was just out there, you know, and I just thought, well, this is how life is going to be. And I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I was standing on stage and I'm telling a joke and maybe it's a really lousy audience too. And if things are just falling flat, it's not going the way that you think. And, you know, I, I'm saying to myself, I'm 45 years old and this is where I'm at. The, you know, what, what direction is this going to take me down? And what wound up happening was, is that I was doing, uh, I, I was doing a, a stand-up comedy show and it was for an event where there were multiple things taking place um, at the, you know, the larger event. And I did my show and the venue we were in, maybe it was about half full, I, I, I think. And, I, and it was okay. I get done with my show, but what I didn't realize was after me, they had booked a stage hypnotist. So all of a sudden, everybody shows up for the stage hypnotist. And it's like maybe half full for me. And it's like standing room only for this, the stage hypnotist. And I had seen, you know, a hypnotist before, you know, at various comedy clubs. And as a comedian, you, we always hated the stage hypnotist, right? Because we always thought it was gimmicky and it was hacky. And I can't tell you how many times I'd show up to do a show and, you know, maybe the, the, the audience is a quarter full, it's half full or whatever. And they go, man, I don't know. We, we had the hypnotist last weekend and, and we sold out every show. In fact, we had to add two more shows. And you're just like, I hate these people, right? So now I'm watching this, you know, this hypnotist on stage. People are flocking to the stage. They're on stage. People are having, you know, fun. The audience is enthralled. And then afterwards, the show, they're all just flocking around the hypnotist to buy his merchandise, right? They're buying his CDs and, and all this stuff. And I just went, maybe there's something to that. And, you know, I was always fascinated with the mind. So I'm like, all right, this, this could be a good marriage of what I know how to do comedically, comedically and being on stage you know, and, and hypnosis. And then I thought, well, okay, I just have to learn how to hypnotize people. So 
I wound up going through, you know, a course and, and, and doing all that. And what wound up happening was professionally, the hypnosis show took off because I was, you know, I went back to bookers and agents and people I'd worked with. I'm like, I've got a completely new show. And not only that, but it also opened me up to entirely new demographics. I was going into university sh shows. I was able to do high school shows. Um, I wound up uh, being booked as a headlining entertainer for Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. You know, my corporate gigs were, were much higher paying gigs. Now, instead of driving, you know, 12 hours to stay, you know, in, in a Motel 6 for some lousy bar gig somewhere in Montana, I was being flown first class, you know, to, to do an event, to staying in really nice hotels. So professionally, it just, it, it really just took off for me. But then I started do, implementing hypnosis and meditation for myself and my own personal life. And I began to see profound results. It was like, man, I was, I was happier. I wasn't stressed out. Um, I'm noticing this difference in my, in, you know, my behavior where things weren't dysfunctional anymore. Things were, you know, functional and well-adjusted. And consequently, you know, as I kind of came into harmony with myself, you know, my personal life began to reflect, um, harmony and things coming together. So it was a, just a really profound thing that I never expected it to go in that direction. Um, but it, it, it did. And in a really good way and, you know, everything worked out in, in more amazing ways than I could have ever imagined. How, how hard, uh, was it to, I mean, you see the hypnotist, you go to get courses. Is it something yeah. you think pretty much anyone could do if they train enough for it? Or is it something that is, is in, just takes a well, gift? Here's the thing relative to stage hip, hypnosis. No, anyone can't just go and do it. You know, now I've, I've heard a saying before that you could be an okay hypnotist um, but if you're a great showman, you could put in, put in on a, a, a really good hypnosis show. You could be a great hypnotist, but if you're just an okay showman, it's, it's, it's not going to you know, work out as well. Um, so for me, I had that showmanship ability, and I'd like to think that I'm a, a pretty intelligent you know, human being, but it was daunting to think I'm learning all of this, all of this new stuff. And the, you know, the funny thing was, is, you know, I've, I've, performed in front of audiences of thousands of people. I, you know, I've been on live television. You know, at one point I, I, you know, I did a live appearance on Geraldo at large on, on Fox news. I was terrified about that, but I had never been as terrified as when, you know, I had just a few, they were like high school kids. You know, this girl I was dating, her daughter brought over some high school, some of her friends, and I was going to hypnotize them there in the, in the living room of my girlfriend's house. I was never more terrified than I was at, at that point, because, but when it happened, when you, when you see it work, then you're all of a sudden, wow, there is something to this. And it, you know, and it really, and it really works. And, you know, just doing more shows and, and practicing at it helped me to you know, understand the nuances of it all and understand the techniques of it all and then be able to, you know, implement that. So yeah, it, 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 it was a really challenging thing to learn. It was a difficult thing to learn, but again, it's up to your mind, right? You tell your mind, you can do something, your mind believes it, then you, you know, you just go and do it. Well, and that plays into my, my next question was, is uh, I've always kind of assumed, and I know very little about hypnosis, except for you know, everyone's seen the uh, old 
sitcom trope of a hypnotist turning someone yeah. into a chicken. Yeah. Um, you, I imagine you, you're familiar with the office space. I mean, really yeah, sets, it really sets in course the entire movie. If you, if you think yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. That's the whole plot line right there. Yeah. Um, and I've, um, uh, actually see in office space that actually, I think, I mean, aside from the hypnotist dying yeah. <laughs> and him staying in the hypnosis for a while, um, aside from that, I, I, you know, what he did was great <laughs> for the guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I've always assumed the subject must be, they mentally have to be consenting basically, or you won't be able to hypnotize them. Do you think that's true or? I will say it's probably, I, w- I would say it's 95% true, right? Because that, now that, that's the one thing that of course, when you're, when you're trying, especially doing stage hypnosis, people have to be, they deserve to be open-minded to this. They, 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 you know, deserve to want to have this experience. And that's why when it would come to volunteers, especially if I were doing a corporate event, you call for volunteers and you do the best to set the stage. So people are willing to come up. They, they're excited. They have a reason to come up. And, but every once in a while, you might get the, the, the audience that all points to Fred, Fred, you got to go do this. Fred's got to, you know, and then, you know, Fred might come up begrudgingly and you know what, 99 times out of a hundred, I'm going to dismiss Fred from the stage. You know, it's, it's not going to work. But now the, 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 the flip side of that is there was the, an event I was doing a few years ago and it was for a County Sheriff's Christmas party. And, you know, I call for volunteers and everybody's telling this woman who was the head of the county jail that she should go up on stage. I don't remember her name and we'll just say it was Mary or whatever. Everybody's like, Mary, you need to go up there. And here's Mary, this like really kind of, she's like a tough woman. She's the head of the county jail, right? So, you know, they're all persist. Mary, you need to go up there. So she's like, fine, I'm going to go up there. But this is ridiculous. This is not going to work. This is so stupid and so silly. She sits down on stage and an hour later, she opens her eyes up and is like, what the hell just happened? And everybody's taking out their phones. They're playing packed videos for her. And she had no recollection of what she did in the last hour and people were coming up to me. And this happens a lot at corporate events where they go, now we know hypnosis is real. We know that person. We work next to them every day. There is absolutely no way that was, that was fake. And you know, like even this woman came up to me, Mary afterwards, she's like, I don't remember anything that they're playing video back for me of stuff that happened on stage. And she's like, this is the weirdest thing. I've ever experienced. And I'm like, how do you feel? She's like, well, physically, I feel great. Emotionally, I feel great. But it's just weird that I don't remember any of that. So that can happen. That's, you know, I'm, on, I'm, on I'm laughing over here because it, not that you personally would be familiar with it, but uh, blacking out drinking, it's like, yeah, what, what happened? <laughs> now, usually you don't feel great when you come out. <laughs> that's true. And, and, and that, that's funny because that is one of the things that happened with hip, hypnosis. People might say to me after, you know, after the fact that they go, I don't remember anything that that just happened. Other people will tell me it's like a dream, right? It's like bits and pieces. They're kind of remember stuff's coming back to them, you know, and other people will go, I remember every single thing that happened, but it was almost like I was an observer and, you know, just kind of going along and things are unfolding and things are happening. So there's not really one particular way that somebody is going to experience, you know, a hip, hypnosis it's very relative to the individual and it can be you know very different for the individual 
Now, when you talked about, um, you know, kind of applying it to your own life. Yeah. Um, did you need to get someone else involved to hypnotize you? Or is it something through meditation type thing that you can bring on yourself? Yeah. I just, you know, I just had some, you know, some, I, I found some audio programs, you know, and I was listening to audio programs uh, myself that, that resonated with me. Now, later on, when I went and certified relative to doing like clinical hypnosis, then of course that was a training course where, you know, other people were, you know, were hypnotizing me, but of course it was, you know, easy for that to be the case because I had gained so much experience experiencing self-hypnosis that it was a lot easier, you know, when somebody else, you know, hypnotized me. And it's, you know, it's not a case where, you know, you're turning over control, you're relinquishing power to somebody else. Um, you know, you're just allowing that to be the case. You're inviting them in to be able to do that. And you're a willing, you know, willing participant in it. Yeah, you, I imagine, because as, as you were saying that, I was thinking about your YouTube channel and you've got a lot of like eight hour uh, yeah. things for people to listen to basically while they sleep. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, the silly part in my mind is, I'm like, boy, I, I really need to trust this guy before I listen to any of these <laughs> while I sleep because I could wake up and now I identify as a female because he told me <laughs> to in the hypnosis and I don't <laughs> or, you know, all of a sudden yeah. I'm smoking cigarettes because he told yeah. me. To. <laughs> well, and, you know, and that's funny because that's that's well, two things. I, I completely understand what you're saying. You know, two things to that. Number one is. I've been fortunate that I have the subscribers and, you know, the followers and the views that I have, which are kind of a testament to, you know, what, you know, what I put out there for people. But, but at the same time, when somebody's listening to that, um, you know, it's a thing where people can also listen to that when they're not asleep, you know, and I, I've started to actually include the transcripts, like in the closed captions. So if somebody turns on the closed captions, they can, they can see everything that's, you know, that's said. I didn't used to do that because I thought, well, people's eyes are closed and they're not going to be reading it. But as kind of an extra um, added assurity, I throw that in there so people can see. Because I've had a lot of people ask me, hey, can I get the transcripts or, you know, or, or see the transcripts? But yeah, everything that I include in there, there's, there's no there's no weird salacious stuff. I'm not going to wake up and think I'm a chicken. <laughs> you know, you know, the, the funny thing was, is I did a program one time and uh, you know, the phrase that I used, what, you know, I was talking about, I don't remember which, which program it was, but the, whatever the topic, the theme of the program was, one of the things that I said to the person was, and you're going to subscribe to this idea of, and I was using the word subscribe as they're being receptive to an idea. They're aligning with an idea. But of course, this person heard the word subscribe and they thought I was using hypnotic language to get everybody to subscribe to my channel. <laughs> and they wrote this angry comment, you're using it. And I'm like, no, Subscri <laughs> subscribe has meant something long before YouTube. Right. Of course, it's it's created its own kind of new meaning now. But it, it, it was kind of funny that I that I had that experience. But, yeah, so I'm very careful to make sure everything that's in there is received in a, you know, in a, in a good way for people. Uh, so that's not how you got over 200,000 uh, subscribers. Not how I got uh, over 200. I was going to say, how much do I have to pay you to throw in? Just subscribe to the Jeff Maglino podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just I don't start using some you just get a spiral going behind your head and you just have people watch it and watch it. And then they're like, okay. that's, uh, that was another question I had for you because I know obviously the videos, 
Uh, and I did watch some of, you know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't do it while I slept mainly because I have a hard time. I've tried, I've, I've probably actually tried yours. Uh, maybe not yours, but I've tried several on YouTube and I just can't seem to go to sleep yeah. to them. If that, but that's just, no, I mean, it makes total sense. I get it. Yeah. Um, well, well, what I was going to say to that is because, you know, the, the thing is, is I always tell people there's no right or wrong. There's only what works for us. And so when you're putting content out there on YouTube that literally every single person in the entire world has access to, um, you, you'll, you'll find those people that your content resonates with. And of course, there's going to be far more people that your content doesn't resonate with. And, and what happened was, is that my channel began to be about, you know, what they call sleep hypnosis. People wanted something that they could put on to fall asleep to and then have play in the background while, while they slept. So they like eight hour long content. And it wasn't what I intentionally originally set out to do, but it just kind of seemed to be that those type of people gravitated towards, you know, my channel. So YouTube is very much about specific subsets of subsets of subsets. So I found people that were into hypnosis and wanted something to fall asleep to, but also have something that would play for, for eight hours. So uh, that's what I, yeah, it's, it's what I cater to, but of course, you know, every once in a while, you know, you'll get a comment from somebody that's like, shut the hell up. I just want to go to sleep or this is too long or this is (laughs) or whatever. I'm not forcing you to play it. (laughs) Well, I, I, I know. And that's what I say. I'm like, look, I'm not for everybody. I'm for this particular demographic of, you know, of, of people. Um, but so, but I, and I think one of the things that when you started to kind of go with that question, because we were talking about the spirals and stuff, the content that I, that I put out there on YouTube, it's about the audio portion. It's not really about the visual portion. Um, so people's eyes are closed most of the time, but, you know, I will stick in, you know, just kind of a, a looped background that will, that will play. Um, one of the things that I've, I found is that a lot of people like what they call the dark screen hypnosis or black screen hypnosis, where they don't want anything, you know, on the screen. So I've been doing some, some more of that, or I might put up a graphic uh, initially and then just kind of have it fade and, you know, gradually, you know, fade out or just put nothing up there, you know, at all. I, I was actually surprised. I didn't realize that originally when this all began, I put my content on YouTube um, thinking that, well, maybe somebody would hear what I was doing and then they'd be interested in going over to my website and downloading the MP3 and having the MP3. Um, it didn't occur to me that people actually went to YouTube to have that be their primary source for this kind of content. And so everything that I was doing happened by happenstance because I was doing my stage hypnosis show. And what you would do is you were selling merchandise after the show. I've got CDs for weight loss and stop smoking and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but of course, what was going on was that people don't really have CD players anymore. There, there was like, when I started doing, there was this kind of this cusp where there were still some CD players, but mostly everything was gravitating towards digital. And so I was hearing a lot of hypnotists on like the Facebook groups or the places where I would hang out with other hypnotists. And they're all like, people aren't listening to CDs anymore. And, you know, where can we get bulk MP3 or flash drives? We're going to start putting everything on a flash drive and we'll sell flash drives after our show. And that just kind of seemed like a kind of like a, you know, a big hassle. And I just got this idea. Well, why don't I, instead of selling stuff online, I'll put stuff on YouTube and tell people just go to YouTube. You can find me there. And everybody was like, you're crazy. Why would you do that? You're leaving money on the table. No, you have to sell hard copy product. And 
I did it my way to, in a, you know, and it, and it worked out. So, yeah, it might be a temporary halt on a little bit, but I think long-term vision, I think you were, you obviously uh, were right in the way you did things. Um, I, so the, vi- the interesting part, I, I was thinking of a few different things. Um, you can probably see I'm scribbling stuff down on a notepad yeah. while you're talking. Um, but the um, a combination kind of thing with the visual aspect, I know that I, a lot of times a person holds something and swings it in, yeah. the, in the TV yeah. shows. Um, and I think that almost relates to, I, I've listened to uh, your stuff, not trying to go to sleep to your stuff, just in preparation for this. I've listened to some of that. Yeah. And I've listened to others, you know, sleep hypnosis type stuff. And I've always found it relaxes me. It's it's calming and everything, but I can't actually fall asleep. So I'm yeah. curious if, is that just the mind isn't quite in the meditative state, maybe where I'd still, I'm f- still thinking too much about what I'm listening to maybe, or well, you know, the, here, the interesting thing is, is when you lay down and go to sleep at night, you've got these brainwave states, you know, it's the, the way, you know, the speed at which your, your mind is operating. So beta brainwave state is what we are in most to the day. That's our conscious waking uh, brainwave state. Then as things slow down, you go into an alpha and theta brainwave state. And that's kind of where hypnosis and meditation happen. Um, but it's also kind of that dreamy kind of blurry state of mind that you feel before you completely, you know, drift off to sleep. You're not quite asleep. You're not awake. You're kind of somewhere in the middle. And then you drift from the alpha, the theta down into the delta, which is, um, you know, deep brainwave state. So you're already going through that anyway. Um, But you know what, for some people, it's just like, if they've got, you know, their, their mind is conditioned and trained that this is how we operate. We need silence. We, we can't have anything going on in order to fall asleep or there, you know, there's people that like to hear fans, you know, running and yeah. sounds, you know, running there, there's, you know, there's all these different apps that have, you know, you can listen to uh, garbage trucks driving down the street that that'll <laughs> help you fall asleep. So, I mean, yeah. Um, so, but so, so some people are, you know, are, are, are into that and that's, you know, that's their thing. Now me, I can listen to something to fall asleep, if I put on something of, of, of my own, you know, that'll take me down. I'll fall asleep. Inevitably for me, I might kind of lightly wake up maybe three or four hours in. And if I do, I just reach over. I, you know, I turn something off and you know, it, it is what it is, but you know, everybody's, you know, everybody's different relative to that. So it doesn't mean that there's just something wrong. You know, I can't do it this way. It just means that, you know, you're just kind of wired. You're used to doing things, you know, a little bit differently. So let me ask you with um, some of the, some of your content, and I'm just going to pick on one that you said, uh, yeah. mainly because it's something that uh, that I need to hypnotize myself into doing uh, weight loss. <laughs> um, what just a rough example, um, because I, I've always said, you know, weight and I've even talked to someone who was a weight loss uh, coach on on the podcast before. And I've always said it, it just seems like a very mental thing it's not i know what i I know what i can do to lose weight but i like whiskey i like pizza yeah and it makes me feel good so what um i guess what angle um kind of does hypnosis play into something like that just for example so and and i totally get that because you know i i i've yo-yoed with weight you know my 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 entire life i mean there's been times i think my biggest 
15 years ago, I was like 270 pounds. And then I went from that down to 190. Um, you know, then maybe, you know, I vacillate between 110 and like, you know, during COVID and all of that, you know, I wasn't leaving the house when you're, when you're not leaving the house and you're just home making YouTube videos and you're hanging out with your pajamas and you have no need to put your regular clothes on every day. And then all of a sudden three weeks down, you're like, oh, maybe I'll leave the house. And you go to put some clothes on. You're like, these don't fit me anymore. This is really frustrating. Um, but for me, I also know, and I've done a DNA weight loss or a DNA test relative to, to weight loss. And I know that I do have some genetic things that do incorporate into what, what's happening with my weight. But the times that I've lost the weight are the times when I reach what I call threshold, where all of a sudden I'm at some place where I'm like, now I'm completely miserable, right? It's, it's, you know, I enjoyed eating the food, but now not eating the food is, it will be more enjoyable than you know, uh, eating the food or a painful thing, right? Or it's like, you know, I'm, it would be painful for me to, you know, not to eat that food. Then you get to the point where you're like, now it would be really painful if I did eat that food because I'm going to feel lousy. So there's a lot of, there is a lot of psychological conditioning in there because yeah, last night's a great example. Um, I'm, I took my kids to go see um, the, the new Spider-Man movie, which is a great movie, by the way. But like, I'm into the immersive theater experience. Like when I go there, I want to get a big thing of popcorn and like, I'm used to popcorn and the movie. That's a connection that I have in my mind. So I'm committed now to, you know, to working on kind of getting off, you know, some weight and stuff like that. So I really had to work in my mind, you know, to make that connection that, you know, eating the popcorn would feel worse to me than if I um, missed out on going to the movies and, and eating a popcorn. So it, it really is. There's a lot of connections in our mind, you know, that we make. And so when it comes to weight loss, yeah, we can rewire those connections and get ourselves into a frame of mind where we align ourselves with feeling far better um, you know, doing something that's beneficial for us and even far worse feeling something that's not beneficial for us. Cause we tend to gravitate more towards avoiding pain than we do pleasure. So it, it's like, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, like you get a term paper or whatever you put off doing that term paper, cause doing that term paper day is going to be really, really painful and you'd rather go out and play. But as the deadline approaches, all of a sudden, it's going to be more painful to have a failing grade and get in trouble and not turn that in thing. So, you know, you can, you can harness that relative to conditioning, you know, your mind to get the positive results by anchoring something to a negative emotion. And, and, and making this way too personal on my end, you just <laughs> see, you just clicked it in my head and it goes back to, you can probably relate to this. A lot of my comedy is similar. I'm divorced to, to you know, half the time I have my kids, uh, failure at dating. And now we've got dating apps, which is you're lucky you didn't go through that. I assume. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I did some of that. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. It's the worst. Um, but I've, <laughs> I've, but I do realize, and I think this is similar. Everything on stage is just lampooning myself. So yeah. misery is okay because I can use it for making, making jokes. Um, <laughs> and, and, and which was, which was me. Right. But right. then at the same time, it's like, well, what, is, what are, what's my self-talk here? What am I telling myself? You know? Yeah. So yeah. The pain's okay because other people will laugh at it. It's almost. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, see, they, I've said before that my podcast is basically just therapy for me. That yeah, well, is, that's you know, <laughs> I get it. Dude, that that was that was me. That was you know, I getting up on stage. It was therapeutic. You're you're burning steam. You're venting, and then you can feel, you know, you have the sense of validation, right? It's like, oh, I was. I was really pissed off at my ex-girlfriend and I was able to tell this room full of complete strangers, you know, how horrible a person she is. And they all laugh and you're like, yes, I, I, you know, I got that. They agree with me. Well, and I, <laughs> I, one of my, one of my jokes that uh, I, I never really crafted fully, but one of the ones that I thought was my, one of my best premises uh, was making my own dating profile and going through my phone looking for pictures. And the only thing I could find were pictures that friends had sent of me passed out in different locations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. my dating profiles, hey, here's me passed out on a couch. Here's me yeah. passed out at the beach. See, here's me. <laughs> that's <laughs> perfect. You just get all that out of the way and then you'll find somebody be like, hey, I want to go to the beach with him and get passed out. That works for me. Maybe yeah, well, that won't I, be. I, I had a dude, uh, uh another comedian at the bar one time say if you do ever want to date a girl don't let her see you talk about yourself on stage <laughs> yes yeah, yeah that's that's what they're like oh yeah i know i know what you mean i know what you mean yeah there, no, there, there'd be nothing nothing at least nothing worse to me than you know taking a date or somebody to a show you know and like i bomb right you bomb you don't want to see you know and and that's what worked out for me because um you know my wife Rochelle which third time is a charm in my family um once i got all my stuff together i got my act together then i met you know the woman of my dreams and it and it all worked out but you know we met while i was i was still i was kind of doing both i was doing the you know the hypnosis but doing the stand up comedy and she uh came to a, a show of mine completely unannounced i had no idea that she was going to be there and i get on stage and i look down and she she was right there in the front row it was like oh. one of these things where like the 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 you know at the edge of the bar was also the table so you're literally sitting and um but i killed so it worked out really well i i, I won her over that way so that helped oh well yeah yeah if you, if you bombed you you would maybe be on your you're looking yeah, for your fourth wife <laughs> oh well you know the, it's the funny thing because it's like you know how many times you you like done shows where you get off stage and you're like man i want to hang around i want to mingle with these people i want to get some accolades i want to tell hear them tell you know and man there, there are times when you, you, you know, you get done with a show, man, you just want to beeline and hide and you do not want to be seen anywhere. I, I remember I did a gig of, uh, with a buddy of mine. We were up in Montana. I think we were in Bozeman, Montana, and it was a big show. It was a really nice venue. And they had, you know, it was a portable stage that set up with curtains and stuff, but we were isolated from the rest of the room. There was actually no other entrance to get to behind the stage without going through the audience. And I remember my, my buddy who was my opening act, he gets up and, and he was eating it. And I'm thinking if they're eating it, if he's eating it, then I know I'm in trouble because he was, he was really funny. And I, you know, I got up there, same thing. I just ate it too. I bumped. So we, we hid behind the curtains until everybody filed out after the show. I mean, we were like in there for 30 minutes until the wait staff started to break down the tables and we're like, okay, now we can leave, but we don't want to see anybody like in the parking lot or on the street. Let's just get out of here. Yeah. Pay, pay one of the staff members to go check the parking lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's, and now I do, uh, I, I wonder, um, because I, I, it's interesting when I was, when I was reading about you, I was thinking the whole time, I'm like, you know, 
and I, I wonder if you've heard this from from comedians, because I know you you probably know a bunch of them. And I don't know if any of them almost have a you were even talking about your own distaste before you before you really watched it about the hip, uh, hypnotist who goes on and, yeah, and kind of yeah. has a bigger audience than a comedian. I've heard other comedians uh, complain about magicians. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, ventriloquists. Yeah. And, yeah. You well, know, just cause we don't find it funny. If they draw an audience, don't. it clearly and works. I remember, <laughs> I remember texting a buddy of mine who's, who's a comedy comedian in LA. He's been my best friend for probably going on 20, 20 years now, maybe more than that. But I texted him. I'm like, dude, I'm going to start doing, you know, stage hypnosis. And he texts me right back in all caps. Oh no. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And, yeah, so that's a prevalent mindset. Now, I would imagine, though, and I don't know if you've ever done it, but as a stage uh, hypnotist, I would imagine bombing at that would actually be way worse than bombing at comedy. And I don't know if you, I don't know how well, how much you can actually bomb at it. But well, here's here's the thing. Now, I've always had, I've always got volunteers on stage, and I've always had people hypnotized now the, the thing that i say about doing stage hypnosis is, is is sometimes you know it's not about having a really great show sometimes it can be about how far are you able to keep the show from completely going off the rails and so you know i've i've had shows where um you know you can have a great audience and mediocre volunteers, like somebody may legitimately be hypnotized, but their personality or their characteristics or whatever, you know, there's just not a lot of interesting stuff happening, you know, on, on the stage. And, you know, and it's weird because I've had that happen where I'm going, oh, my gosh, this is a horrible experience. And then everybody in the audience is like, oh, my gosh, that was the most amazing thing we've ever seen in our entire life. Right. Or then there's times that you might have really amazing volunteers and the audience is just kind of like, meh. Um, you know, th there's been a few times where I, you know, maybe had 20 people come up and volunteer and most of the time you're going to keep a large percentage of those people, but I've had it where you might only be having two people on stage. Now, two people on stage who are really good stars of the show, you know, if you will, you know, will make something lights out versus having, you know, 15 people that are just kind of like, meh. So, but, but yeah, I mean, there's been times when, you know, you get done with a, you get done with a show and you're, it, it's funny. Cause like when you're on the cruise ship, right? Like I'm on there, I only have to do two shows in one night while I'm on, on, you know, when I was on the cruise ship, but you're still going to see these people walking around, you know, you're going to see them at the buffet. You're going to see them, you know, wherever. And when right. you have a great show, you're like, this is awesome. I don't, I love everybody. Everybody can see me. Thank you very much. you like, and then you have a bad show or mediocre show or whatever. And it's like, I've got the hat and the sunglasses on. I'm like, I'm not leaving my cabin. I'm not going anywhere. Or, you know, you, you'll see somebody, you go, they'll come up to you and they go, oh my gosh, you were so funny. That was so great. The audience or the, the volunteers were amazing. They were incredible. And you're like, oh, what, which, which show did you see? The late show or the, or the early show? And, the, and, you know, in your mind, you're like, the late show was the killer show. That was the one that was lights out. And they're like, we saw the early show. And you're like, Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much. You know, so it's that that's, that's always, it's always interesting. I, I just know myself, I would be, um, 
I would be probably intoxicated and I'm just imagining running into you at the, at the buffet and being like, can you hypnotize me to not eat this food today? (laughs) Make me walk away. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because one of the things that I do when I call for volunteers is I, you know, my, my thing is about inspiring people to want to come up and volunteer on stage. So I'm very much about, look, when you come up here, you're going to tap into the power of your mind. So if you have a goal that you want to achieve, or maybe there's a a negative habit, a negative belief that you want to get rid of, when you come up here and participate, um, we're going to make that happen for you. So it's a really big incentive for people to want to come on stage. And I had a woman on the cruise ship uh, one time, she had come up to me, you know, like three or four days after the show. And she goes, I wasn't going to volunteer. Then you said, you know, if you come up here, we're going to help you uh, achieve a goal. And the woman said, look, I'm a chocoholic. I, you know, chocolate dictates far too much of my life. And I know that I deserve to eat less chocolate or eliminate chocolate or whatever. So she goes, that was my goal. That was the reason why I went up on stage. She said, it's been four days and I have not had any chocolate since. And she goes, there's chocolate everywhere on the ship. She goes, my friends can't believe it. They cannot believe that I've actually stopped eating chocolate. So, you know, thank you. Thank you very much. So, you know, that's, that works out. People on a cruise ship are like, yeah, we want to eat less or we want to whatever. So we'll come up and volunteer, make it happen. Well, what um, it's interesting. It's, it's one thing that strikes me is uh, the, uh, and obviously I'm not saying this is what happens, but uh, I think some people might be afraid. Uh, I'm thinking of yeah. uh, my I'm thinking of my mother because I've talked to her uh, more than a son should talk to his mother about, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try this new edible or I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm trying mushrooms. I've heard it can do good things to your brain and blackout drunk's great. And my mom's always like, I could never lose control. And I would feel like she would have a similar fear possibly of hypnosis like well someone else could make me do things that i wouldn't want to do so what what do you say i'm sure you've encountered people who have had probably an irrational fear almost of hypnosis yeah Um, and i let them know i I look you're not going to turn into some remote control zombie you can't lose you know it's you're not going to go and do something that goes against your moral code because that's what happens you know within the mind you know our who we are is really hardwired deeply into, into our subconscious mind, more so our, our overall character traits, you know, as far as, you know, our moral beliefs and, you know, and that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm not going to hypnotize somebody and have them go, you know, rob a bank. Um, you know, I'm not going to have, you know, unless they are actually are, you know, a bank robber, right? That's, they were just looking you know, for the motivation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, or it's funny. Cause like sometimes when I'll do, you know, you do one of the early skits that you do, that's a pretty simple thing for somebody's imagination, um, <clears throat> to start to kind of begin to activate is, you know, the hypnotist called the hot cold skits. <clears throat> you start off by telling people that they're, you know, that they're really hot or they're really cold. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll see somebody, some woman wants to start to take off her shirt, right? She's going to like be, it's on a topless beach and I'm like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, so there is somebody that probably would choose to, to be naked in front of people in public. So you have to watch out for that sort of thing, but you know, you're not going to get somebody to do something that, you know, just completely a, a great example of that is I had a buddy of mine, um, he was he was stage hypnotist doing a show and he had somebody that was um, what he would call one of the stars of the show. This guy was into 
everything participating, you know, very animated. And so it, at the part of the show towards the end, my buddy um, told this guy that he was going to dance like Michael Jackson. He was going to get up and dance just like Michael Jackson. My buddy turned the Michael Jackson music on. This guy didn't move. He didn't, uh, he didn't open his eyes. He didn't budge. He didn't move. It was like kind of a really weird thing. So my buddy winds up actually talking to the, the gentleman after the fact. And this guy apparently was, he was like a real kind of like a born again, Christian, holy roller kind of a guy who just thought Michael Jackson or dancing, you know, in public was an evil thing. You just don't do that. Right. So this guy did everything else, but when it came to something that was going to go against his deeply embedded moral code, he was like, no, no, not, not going to do it. He was still hypnotized, but he just didn't participate in what, you know, he was, he, you know, he, the suggestion that he was being given. And this is an off the wall question that you don't even need to answer if you don't like it, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm thinking you, you could hypothetically get someone who's just got a really, you know, effed up moral code and uh, you're, we'll use bank robbery as an example. Someone yeah. who thinks it's the banks are, well, I wouldn't disagree. The banks are bad. They're evil. So I've got a plan. But I, I don't know if I, I don't have the self-confidence to pull it off. So, I mean, you you could almost, I, I'm curious if, if anyone's ever even brought that up. You could almost encourage someone in a positive way and they could, if they're just bent that way. And obviously, yeah. it's a, you know, the bank robbery is kind of a weird <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, as a as you know, as a hypnotherapist, if somebody comes up and goes, look, I want more confidence to rob a bank, you know, you're not gonna, <laughs> you know, not gonna do that. You know, when you when you have people on stage, you know, you, you kind of have to keep an, an eye on them. I, I think the weirdest thing that I ever happened to me on stage one time, it was a it was at a corporate event, and there was one guy, you know, everything was great, and there was something else that another skit we were doing, all of a sudden the guy completely like changed right he got a little standoffish and got a little and and i noticed at the time i didn't think much i mean i i knew enough to say okay maybe you just kind of keep an eye on this guy we kind of avoid giving this guy some heavy lifting you know during the show as i call it heavy lifting well it turns out and i found this out afterwards the guy came up to me the guy legitimately has multiple personality disorder schizophrenia and because oh, wow. I asked him, I remember I got his name at one point in the show. And then all of a sudden his name was completely different, like at the at middle point of the show. Right. And the guy's like, I'm like, what, what was your name again? And the guy's like, my name is, you know, Mel or whatever it was. And I hear all of a sudden he has audience, an accent. <laughs> well, yeah. And then I'm hearing people in the audience going, oh, it's Mel. It's Mel. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then the guy came up and he was like, yeah, I've, I have multiple personality disorder. I have this guy, Mel, that comes out um, to kind of keep an eye on things, to kind of keep things or whatever. So, and everybody in his work was like, oh yeah, that's, that's what happens if something goes on and he gets a little nervous or he gets a little, this guy, Mel comes out. And I was like, wow, that was, that was the first, they, that was, you know, that was the first for me, but you know. They happened. put up with a lot at that office. <laughs> I know, I know, really. They're, well, I might want to work there. <laughs> very, they were very understanding, you know, about it. I, you know, I had another kid one time that was, um, he was autistic. I didn't realize he was, it was weird. Like in the beginning of the, he was one of the volunteers and there was something that was just a little bit, you know, cause you know how people are supposed to respond relative to, right. you know, their behavior. And there was just something a little 
just something like a little off. And I'm like, okay, this is not somebody I originally kind of thought he was, he was faking or being whatever he was doing. And then I dismissed him back into the crowd and he was still doing stuff out in the crowd. And then it was after the fact, it was at a high school um, graduation party. And the parents were like, oh yeah, you know, Billy, Billy's autistic. And he was legitimately hypnotized. It wasn't a thing where, you know, so there, there, you know, that can, you know, that can be the case, you know, for, yeah, you know, there could be some interesting stuff there. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting to think because my daughter's on the spectrum, but I, I always say to, when I talk to people, I'm like, you wouldn't know it unless you were there in a moment. She had one of her moments. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, I could see, I could, eh, well, she, she's so stubborn. I don't, I don't know how well she'd do with hypnosis. She doesn't, she doesn't follow direction. Well, she likes to do things her way. <laughs> I can, I can, I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like that would potentially be the best person to hypnotize. But again, if they're just well, combative, then. But, but yeah, well, the, you know, the interesting thing is too, is that, you know, hypnosis is also associated with IQ. So the higher someone's IQ, the more receptive they are to hypnosis. And of course, obviously, you know, there's a, a lot of um, individuals, you know, that are artistic, but they're, and, and their IQ is, you know, is, is off the charts. Yeah. So, you know, that, that can, that can come into play. And that's one of the things that I, I, you know, I will make the joke about, you know, your IQ being directly associated with how, you know, you can be receptive to hypnosis, the higher the IQ, the easier it is to be hypnotized. And I go, that's why I always laugh when I have like the alpha male that comes up and is like, I can't be hypnotized. I'm like, well, thank you for admitting that you have a low IQ. I, you know, I appreciate that. Is Well, that makes sense. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, and not to, to relate the two at all, but uh, I mean, there have been substantial scientific studies that show people with higher IQs are more likely to experiment with drugs and stuff, too, that that give, you know, yeah. that not hyp hypnotic effects, but hallucinogenic or different right. things. Um, so it kind of makes sense. They want to uh, always I say they I actually I actually was tested when I was younger before I started drinking and I was off the charts IQ. But <laughs> I think alcohol does a good job at dropping me down to <laughs> yeah, slightly that, above average <laughs> that that it does that 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 can happen that's why you always encourage people when they come up on stage to be hypnotized not to be you know liquored up or you know whatever the you know whatever the case may be yeah that could be i i would imagine that could be a problem too yeah because they're <laughs> going to be distracted they're not going to be paying attention it, it makes it you know but again then there's always the exception to the rule i you know i was doing a casino uh, event up in Oregon one time. And, and I had a guy up on stage that, that I knew he was drunk when he came up and not overly drunk. I wanted to dismiss him, but it was one, it was, it was early on when I just started and it was, a, so, you know, now I probably wouldn't have allowed the guy on there, but at the time I did allow the guy to stay on stage. But the weird thing was, is he went under, he was, he was legitimately hypnotized, but he, he was drunk. So they're like, it's, it's, there's always an, you know, there's always an exception to the, to the rule, but you know, I mean, now, now I would go, Oh no, not somebody's, you know, you, you, I've experienced enough and know enough to, you know, yeah. 
shouldn't have those that you know that person on stage yeah i would think tipsy's okay because let your guard down kind of but being yeah being being drunk i think would be well, uh you know even even tipsy because you know again, you can tell they're too drunk <laughs> yeah because you know again you, you've got people moving around the stage you know you got them they're standing up they're moving around so there's all these physical parameters that you know that you have to you know that you have to keep in mind too because obviously it's all about safety of you know the audience right. members you don't want something crazy you know going on so right. yeah you just have to make sure you you have all your ducks in a row and boxes checked off for you know the the right situation that's why when i was doing stand-up it was really easy because i could show like if it was a corporate gig i could show up five minutes before i had to go on because all i needed was a microphone when you're doing right. a hypnosis show you know, I, I know if the audience is sure the, the, you know, the people for the event are showing up at six 30, I'm going to be there at five 15 to make sure everything is all put together. Everything's set up correctly. There's a lot more, you know, effort involved, but you know, you, but it was a lot more rewarding and paid far better than just going up and, and telling jokes. Well, and I think, uh, and obviously you can, can, uh, can, can uh, tell me more, uh, intelligently than I can hypothesize about it, but I, I would think uh, hypnosis is becoming more and more well-received so yes. that, you, you know, corporate gigs would be flourishing. <clears throat> and and I, I just feel like people are more open to, and maybe it's just, again, my experience, I've been talking to a lot more people who talk about, you know, the metaphysical and yeah, mental yeah. health and everything. And yeah. um, I feel like people are, are, there's less of a stigma and moving into the future, you know, hypnosis, yeah. I think is going to be kind of a, a, an important aspect in human life. I don't know, yeah. well, you know, here, I kind of no, didn't ask my... a question, but <laughs> no, I know, but I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. And, and I agree with you because here's what happened. I think Early humanity understood something about the idea of meditation and, you know, the idea of hypnosis. I mean, you can go all the way back, you know, the, 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 the Egyptians, you know, the Romans, um, you know, the Chinese, ancient civilizations had this understanding about how the mind worked relative to that. And kind of what happened is when we got into the Middle Ages, the Age of Enlightenment, um, when things started to be invented, it was like mankind was doing an awful lot of thinking. Suddenly, it was about analytical thinking. It was about judgmental thinking. It was about critical thinking. They got into this thought process and got away from, <clears throat> you know, the emotional process. And what I'm seeing now is that, you know, people are kind of coming back into an understanding of tapping into you know, that part of their mind, <clears throat> that part of their, you know, their heart, you know, their soul, um, you know, if you will. And it's, you know, it's, well, it's interesting because I did a community poll on my YouTube channel a few months ago and I asked people, you know, how long have you been doing hypnosis or meditation? Has it been, you know, a few months? Has it been less than a year? Has it been over, you know, has it been five years, you know? And, you know, there were, there were a few people that have been doing it my whole life over five years, but the majority of people, it was something within just the last couple of years they started to get into. And, you know, what's interesting as well, uh, where the area where I live in, in, in Utah, fastest growing city in Utah, we have when I moved here 20 years ago, there was nothing. There was, this was nothing but farmland. Now we have all these tech companies that have built buildings and headquarters here. They're calling this place the Silicon Slopes. So, you know, I look at a lot of these tech people 
and they're all looking for an edge. They're looking, you know, the, the term that, that you kind of hear now, the phrase is getting into flow. How do we get into flow where our mind and our body and our heart and our spirit, we just feel like we're firing all, all, on all cylinders. We're making it happen. We're, we're achieving it. And um, people are tapping into um, the idea of meditation and hypnosis um, for that very purpose. And the, and the thing is, is meditation and hypnosis, they're sister states of mind. You know, that you're going from that beta brainwave state down to those alpha and theta brainwave states. So the same thing mentally and physio physiologically are, are, are happening there. Um, sometimes people feel a little bit more safer about the term, you know, guided meditation as opposed to hypnosis. You know, people hear the term hypnosis, it's, oh, it's, it's evil, right? It's going to be self-control, but meditation just it sounds so peaceful and, you know, so, but really, you know, especially relative to stuff on YouTube, you know, a lot of that stuff is interchangeable, guided hypnosis or guided meditation, hypnosis meditation, you know, it's essentially, you know, the same thing, but one sounds a little bit more palatable to some people than others. Yeah. Well, it's still that, it's still that stupid stereotype that, yeah, you know, has has gone on on, or it used to go on. I I, I feel like every old sitcom I've watched on uh, yeah. TV Land has the hypnotist that makes someone cluck like a chicken when they yeah. snap their fingers, and <laughs> or, you know, or or but what's interesting too, and you know, a lot of it's just based in you know misunderstanding because people do think, well, oh, somebody's going to take over control, and and I will see that a lot within you know anyone that has a really strong, you know, kind of religious background, you know, um, commitment um, that they just think it's evil and it's satanic. You know, I mean, I, it, yes. it's interesting. Some of the, you know, the comments that I will get <clears throat> you know, on some of my, my YouTube videos where somebody's just like, this is demonic, this is satanic. And they're posting all these, you know, these scriptures and, and, you know, and, and, and things like that. And it was interesting because a few years ago I was doing, it was a, it was a corporate event um, and it was actually right here in Utah, but it was from people all over the country. And, you know, before the event, the woman that had booked me come up and she said, look, we have a lot of women here because it was prime. It was a predominantly female audience. It was for like a jewelry company or something. But the woman said to me, she goes, we have a lot of women here that are from the very deep South, very religious. And there's been some, there's been some chatter about, you know, oh, this hypnosis thing, are we going to be conjuring evil spirits? And she, she goes, just, just so you know, and I, I said, that's perfect. I'm glad that I knew that. So I was able to cater my pre-talk before I called for volunteers. And I got, you know, I got up and I said, look, I said, we are created in God's image. So, you know, we have the ability and the power to get our mind into these alpha and theta brainwave states. So, you know, if we're created in God's image, that means God has this ability too. God has given us, you know, so I, I came from that perspective. And when I call for volunteers, the funny thing was, is I had to bring more chairs up on the stage. I think I had like, you know, the stage was big enough for, you know, I think maybe 20 chairs across and I had to create a, you know, a second row. They were so enthusiastic to be part of it and they were phenomenal, you know, volunteers. And I'm hearing from these women afterwards, like I've never experienced anything like this in my entire life. And I feel great. Or, you know, you always had the few that were like, um, I came here with Barbara, but is she going to be okay? After, you know, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's fine. She's, what spell she's did you put on her wizard? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. I, I had a, I had a, my you know, same buddy I referenced earlier, he was doing a show one time 
and he and he shows up and and the guy that booked him you know said okay you, you can't use the word hypnosis everybody is and he's like what do you mean i can't use the word hypnosis this is a hypnosis show. no you you don't you can't use the the show hypnosis or the word hypnosis and he's like trying to figure out how he's going to do a show where he was hypnotizing people but he couldn't refer to it as hypnosis because everybody was yeah staunchly religious it was I'm like, well, dude, all of the other words to describe it would be worse. I would (laughs) I'm going to put a spell on you. (laughs) Yeah. And then it it just progressively got worse for him because as he was trying to talk about it, but avoid it. People were like, somebody raised their hand and go, they went, is, are we doing a hypnosis show? Like it was really weird. And yeah, it was like, (laughs) those are the things that you need to find out before you book the gig. Yeah. Yeah. And as an audience member, you should probably know what you're walking yeah. into a little bit that's why I, I a lot of comedians uh, D- doug stanhope is one of my favorite comedians and uh i don't know if you're familiar with his uh work yeah. but in, in fact i have a, got great, a very catered audience <laughs> i have a great doug stanhope story i will tell you when we're done when the cameras are off <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. uh john um Tell, tell my audience, and I'll, I'll obviously plug everything in the show notes, but uh, tell my audience where they can go. And by the way, I'm going to throw this out there too. Your website does have some of your stand-up clips from, from back yeah. in the day on there, and they're very I, – I enjoyed those quite a bit yesterday when I was watching them. But, John, where can people find you uh, and YouTube and anything else you've got uh, going on? I am – they can find me on um... – you know, just YouTube. If you go to YouTube, just look up John Moyer, J-O-H-N-M-O-Y-E-R. You type that in. You're going to find me right there. John Moyer hypnosis, not to be confused with John Moyer, who is the bassist from the heavy metal band Disturbed. But um, apparently sometimes we get, con- people get us confused. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're going to a Disturbed concert and they get well, the, here, here, Yeah, they're like, I, you know, like my Twitter handle is just John Moyer, but his is John Moyer bass. And the funny thing, and we both follow each other on, on, on Twitter, but the funny thing was like three months ago, I looked down, I get a Twitter, Twitter notification. It says, George Lopez has mentioned you. And I'm like, what is it? And I open up and sure enough, it is the George Lopez, the comedian, George Lopez. But, and he was at an event someplace where, and he goes, John Moyer is about to take the stage. And he, and he hashed, or he, you know, he used my John Moyer instead of John Moyer bass. And he, he tweeted out to all of his followers. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I replied, I go, thank you for the recognition, George. But I think you're thinking of the, you know, the other John Moyer, but um, you, you, if you look me up on YouTube, I'm not the guy with the long hair playing the bass. That should be pretty evident at, you know, at first. So, but on YouTube, John Moyer hypnosis, johnmoyer.com is just, you know, my regular website, but I'm on, you know, you can find my, my programs on, you know, Spotify and Apple music and, but YouTube is, is the big platform that has all my extended eight hour stuff because the, the other platforms, it's like capped at an hour so. Yeah. And, and I will say too, for, for the listener, uh, you, you also, you have a variety of videos, not only the eight hours and also you have some narrated by a woman. I know. Yeah. It's my Um, wife. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was her or not. So I didn't yeah, want to yeah. assume. Um, but uh, so there's a variety, you know, of, of different there's, I think there's some one hour ones. I know there's several three there's hour one hour ones. ones. And, and, and the funny thing is, because like I was talking about YouTube is very much about the subsets of subsets. So my channel really has become about the eight hour stuff. And it's weird because, you know, I've got eight hour videos that, you know, have got over 2 million views and I make a 15 minute video and I like, I can't get any traction on it. Um, because wow. obviously the people that, so I'm actually, um, I'm in the works of kind of planning a second channel that will have all of the, the shorter content, you know, the 15 minute, 20 minute, half hour, that sort of thing. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting landscape to try to figure out YouTube yeah. for sure. Well, John, I, uh, I've had a uh, great pleasure speaking with you and, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get the Doug Stanhope story off, uh, <laughs> off, off the recorders. Thanks again for joining me. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it very much. All right. That was the episode. And I did get the Stanhope story from him afterwards, which was not disappointing at all. Very cool. Uh, very fun talking with John. Awesome guy. Check out his YouTube channel uh, and uh, all of those links. You know, you can find them in the show notes as well as, you know, you presumably heard them, especially if you're listening this long. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Merry Christmas to all. Um, I did want to answer one quick question on something I had seen on uh, on the Twitter box. Someone was just asking, what your favorite Christmas gift was as a kid? And I have a hard time remembering specific Christmas gifts, but I recall the one that I think I played with the most uh, was, and I should have looked this up before I started recording myself talking about it, but it was the toy from Home Alone 2. I believe it was called a Talk Boy. Yep, that's it. They're now selling used on eBay for $289. I don't know what happened with mine, but I should probably look for it. Uh, <laughs> it was a little, you know, it was basically a voice recorder, but you could, you know, record it on a cassette tape and slow it, speed it up, whatever you wanted to do. Well, not really whatever you wanted to do. It was just slow, fast, or normal speed. Um, but had a lot of fun doing different things on that. Uh, never pulled off anything quite as cool as Kevin McAllister in Home Alone. Uh, Home Alone 2, I should say. Uh, but I do, I do miss the days. I don't know. Maybe I'm just old and nostalgic, but I don't feel like, I mean, obviously kids can like my nine year old and my 11 year old both have iPhones. So I'm sure you, they can do that at the tip of their fingers, but there's some novelty about the talk boy, uh, the cassette tape that eventually would get destroyed. <laughs> I don't know. Something about it. Just a simple toy that was so much fun. Uh, and maybe that was it. It was simple. It just did kind of the, I mean, it, you know, for a voice recorder back then, it was probably relatively enhanced, I'm guessing. Uh, but, you know, it was uh, the, the simple joys. It wasn't something where, you know, you can play with your voice and then look at Pornhub or YouTube or, uh, sorry, I'm just going through my favorites here. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyways. Hope you uh, are able to spend some time this holiday season with your families. Uh, I will probably put out an episode a couple days before New Year's. Uh, again, not not related to the holiday at all. And then uh, stay tuned. Follow me on all those socials. I'll uh, update you when I know more. I'm debating just 
stockpiling a handful of these and uh, taking a little time off, um, you know, to to work harder on other things, not, of course, to uh, not work hard on the podcast. I'll still be doing that, but we'll see. Stay tuned. Follow me on all the socials. And, uh, you know, during the Saints games, you might just have to tolerate or mute me, but I promise before and after, well, if they win, then I'll be... Uh, you know, this week retweeting a bunch of Chauncey Gardner Johnson, CD Deuces tweets, uh, and taunting Tom Brady for as long as I possibly can. So, hope you enjoy it. Merry Christmas to all, to all a good whatever time of day it is you're listening to it. Peace out. <laughs>